Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Welcome to yet another lovely episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. I am Joe, and with me is Liam. Hello, Liam. Hi, Joe. How you doing, Liam? I feel like it's been a long time since we've recorded, even though it's only been a week. I'm terrific, bud. The good news is you text me every goddamn day. That's right. So I'm never not hearing from you. That's one of the benefits of having me as a friend is I hate calling people, uh, so I always text random bullshit instead. Yeah, it's great. I loved the thing you texted me of the whatever 3D animated naked man ball. <laughs> Just me and my boys making my way to the club. Before we get started on today's episode, I heard you just open a can. I, what are you drinking? Red Bull. I am drinking a Waterloo flavored seltzer. Um, is it good? It's peach flavored. It's pretty delicious, honestly. I don't know. I'm not a big peach guy, uh, but I, I like them more than I used to. I will say that. I have the weirdest opinion on the peach flavor, and that is I enjoy drinking it significantly more than I enjoy eating it. Yeah, same. I don't know if, if I have any other like podcast hosts that are listen, that listen to us, but uh, uh, a fun tip. Don't drink carbonated seltzer while you're recording a podcast because it no. constantly makes you have to burp and I am an idiot. And it's, we're, we're very unprofessional or whatever. Yeah, this, this institution held together by professional spirit. Now, Liam, I'm going to talk uh, about something today that happened in our lived life, uh, like in our lived experiences, and we probably watched it unfold on the news, which is unique for this show uh, and also depressingly prescient to current events. Uh, which I do not try to do on purpose. I wrote this months ago. I love when things are prescient. That's good, right? <laughs> I fucking hate when this happens uh, because I wrote this two-part series four months ago. Uh, <laughs> and now we are recording. I don't know when this is going to come out, but now we're recording and current events have caught up where it might be happening again. Uh, and I, I really, really hate doing that. Oh, dude, that's good. It's good. It means we're relevant, bro. I didn't mean it. If a history show is relevant, we have a fucking problem. Yeah, bro. That's the worst part. So what do you know about the Republic of Georgia? Uh, not a whole lot. Uh, Stalin was born there. Uh, he was not born in the Republic of Georgia, but close enough. All right. You know that I know nothing, Joe. <laughs> I am a dumb ape. And here you are to educate me. And the Georgians invented wine, not the Armenians. Shut up, Joe. Uh, I'm going to have to get a new co-host now. If you remember, I know you're a little younger than me, but you're not too much younger than me. Uh, back in 2008, Georgia was invaded by Russia. And yes. 
it was a unique experience for me, uh, simply because, and I assume for a lot of Georgians as well, uh, <laughs> um, because it was my first time as an adult, like vividly in my memory, I was watching a war happen on TV. Right. Because like, obviously I'm old enough to kind of remember like the invasion of Iraq, but I was in like middle school. I don't really have memories of that. I mean, the, the concussions probably help with that. Yeah. Sorry, buddy. I remember sitting in my barracks in Fort Knox, Kentucky, watching CNN, I think on like my breakfast break or something and watching a war happen. And it was just wild to me. It's a weird link to this conflict. I've always been very interested uh, about it, obviously, because I'm Armenian. Armenia is right next door to Georgia. But also because there's a lot of people who aren't from the United States who listen to this show, but I'll explain what it looked like watching this war unfold on American TV. Russia invaded Georgia. That's it. <laughs> like, right. There was no explanation as to why. I may be absolutely wrong uh, here, and I'm sure you'll correct me if I am. Didn't the, the Russians just like invent a people who were being oppressed? And they were like, now we're going to go fix it. No, uh, absolutely oh, okay. not. That is a popular and unfortunate take. Okay. Well, you're here to educate me, Joe. I am a dumb ape. <laughs> I'm uh, going to have to make you into an NFT now. The Liam apes. Oh, yes. Drop your rare Liams in the comments. <laughs> Nothing too anti-Semitic, please. Oh, oh you know they're going to be anti-Semitic, baby. That's the only way this goes. <laughs> um, now, okay. I do have to point out something that if there's any Georgian listeners, uh, they will already know this. Their language is incredibly hard. Uh, so are their names. And I say this as someone who also has an incredibly hard language with funny names. I did my best to look up pronunciation guides for Georgian like cities and names and god damn, I didn't come up with a lot. Ooh. So I apologize ahead of time. I really don't feel like uh, reigniting the Georgian-Armenian schism because of this podcast. I, I love you guys. Please don't take this out on me. Direct all complaints to Nate Bethay. Uh, <laughs> Jews. <laughs> Shut <laughs> fucker. So this first episode of this two-part series is mostly going to be backstory here because there's a lot of it. Uh, you can't go back a few years before 2008 and find the, the reason why this occurred uh, as much as some people really, really want to. Right. Um, because some people's histories are older than the concept of nations and states. And that's the kind of people we're talking about today. Okay. However, I do have to breeze through some of this. And this is by no means exhaustive. Uh, this is not your lesson on like the Kartvalian kingdoms or anything like that. If this interests you, there's other resources you can look at. This is more of a primer, if you will. Uh, because somehow, the hundreds of years of history is important to a two-week-long war from 2008. <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, yes, obviously context. Need to know. Yes, go on. Now, there's another fold to this that, yeah, there's probably in the six minutes we've been talking, someone probably pointed out that we glossed over the fact that NATO was involved. And they kind of were, but they weren't. Uh, and we will get there. Is Georgia a NATO member? No. Um, oh, okay. They did want to be, and they still kind of do. Those poor, poor, sweet bastards. Uh, yeah, uh, like I feel like I need to point out at the beginning here, and Liam, I'm disagree and yell at me and say I'm wrong, whatever. If you want to, like, not be part of the Russian sphere of influence, 
um, and you are certain countries, NATO is really your only option. And that isn't saying NATO is good. Uh, at no point here are we going to say NATO is good, actually. Uh, but for a lot of nations, that is a better option. NATO strikes me as the least, I was going to use the phrase, least bad option for certain nation states. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and for reasons why um, we'll talk about. And this could go for a lot of different other nations going through much of the same problems currently. Now, a few of these things can be true while also being not so black and white. Well, yes, it is true that Russia used two breakaway nations or to give NATO the middle finger. It does not mean the two, the, the nations or the people within those two breakaway nations, specifically South Ossetia and Abkhazia, did not want or possibly need Russian help in order to break away from a state they considered to be an oppressive power, that being Georgia. Georgia and a lot of Georgians would strongly disagree with what I just said, and that's fine. <laughs> how big are we, how big are we in Georgia? Much smaller after these two episodes. Oh, okay. I would imagine. <laughs> All right, that makes sense. I'm going to come out and say that I'm very much on Georgia's side in this conflict. Uh, they probably maybe don't invade people. Like, yeah, fair enough. But there's also again more to that. Not everything is as simple as everybody wants it to be. This is certainly one of those cases. This brings us to the small territories of South Ossetia and Abkhazia, two countries with two very distinct people living within them. Uh, for instance, the Georgian identity or the Kartvalian people, uh, I might be pronouncing it incorrectly, sorry, uh, they are different from the majority. And they're much different than the modern day Georgian identity. So to make things easier, we're going to talk about both the Ossetian and Abkhaz, as what they're called as people, separately. Even though they are sometimes smashed together and often smashed together because of this and other wars, they're also very different. And their struggle against the Georgian state is sometimes allied, but mostly separate as they have vastly different goals and different places where they came from. Okay. Now, the Ashetian people are descended from the Alan people, and they actually still call themselves Alans. Like they wouldn't call themselves Ashetian or Ossetian. Uh, they sure. would call themselves Alans. Um, and they're, I guess if I had to point to something on the map, they're closely related to Iranians, uh, which is oh, common for the region. Right. Um, their language is also very unique. Speaking, you guessed it, Oshetian, which is a branch of Eastern Iranian, um, though they're, they aren't considered indigenous to the lands of North or South Oshetia. But they're probably moved there while running from the Mongol hordes and have been there ever since. So... They've been there a long fucking time. And ever since this happened, the Georgians at this time going by various different names, but mostly the kingdom of Kartli, have been trying to kick them out. Though caught in the middle of the Kartvalians and the Karpadians, the Oshetians had nowhere to go and eventually just kept migrating south, finding themselves in lands ruled over by Georgian feudal lords. And as you can imagine, they were pretty much took, uh, immediately taken in and used for cheap labor. Yep. It's the story as old as time. <laughs> Tale as old as time. This meant more people quickly immigrated right in after them because being exploited on a farm is slightly better than being murdered up north, I guess. Uh, you know, sometimes you don't have a lot of good options available to you. This migration kept picking up, and uh, by the mid-1700s, thousands of Oshetians had moved into what is considered Georgian land. As for the Abkhaz, things are a little bit different. What today are called Abkhaz began life as Malaysian Greeks, though I would imagine they would disagree with me on that. 
That's fine. They immigrated to the shores of the Black Sea around the 6th century BC, though not a ton is known of them other than they became hella cool pirates and kidnapped people for ransom while living in sweet beach villages. Oh, that's a, that's a fucking life, dude. <laughs> that's a fucking life. Yeah, that's something that we can all support and defend. Yeah, please uh, donate to the Patreon. Though if you believe the Georgian Chronicles, the Abkhaz were Agrosians, or descendants from Agros, son of Torgma, grandson of Japhet, son of Noah of Ark fame. Oh, okay. Hey, why the hell not? Where's the Ark supposedly for some lunatics, Mount Arafat? Uh, Mount Ararat, yeah. It's, Ararat, yeah. yeah. Historically Armenian, but part of modern-day Turkey. Right, okay, yeah, that was my question. So uh, when do we launch the invasion, Joe? Uh, don't get me started. I'll get fucking deplatformed. <laughs> all right. Well, all right. Uh, if you're if if uh, DM me if you're cool and are ready to launch a land invasion to get Joe a boat. There is currently a Bayraktar drone hovering above my home. <laughs> that seems like a personal problem. There's no drone. That's oh my god. <laughs> Now, the same area got wrapped up in the Mithridates War, which go subscribe to the Patreon to hear more about this in our History of Armenia Premium series, uh, going to much more in depth. Now, throughout this time, generally, they were always subordinate to a greater power, as was normal for smaller groups of people at the time and unfortunately today. Though eventually in 780, the term King of Abkhazians entered like written documents for the first time, as well as did the kingdom of Abkhazia, meaning unlike the Ossetians, the Abkhaz did at one point have their own state. Kind of sure. the concept of state is kind of a loose term at this point of history. Okay. I assume this is sort of more or less feudal kingdoms all fighting over turf. We don't yeah. have organized nation states yet. In this case, it's more of a, a feudal state within the crumbling Byzantine empire. Okay. Where are we? 779? 780s. Okay. Okay. Now, this state lasted for around 300 years, give that's or take. That's not bad, man. Us too. No, the, like, that's, a, <laughs> that's, that's a longer period than most modern countries. Um, give or take before it was absorbed into the kingdom of Georgia through marriage. Though this was eventually brought to an end by a Mongol invasion, which swept through Georgia, broke up the entire area into principalities, one of which was the Abkhaz, again, letting them generally rule themselves. This small feudal state was then kind of sort of taken over by the Ottoman Empire in the 1570s. This eventually created a large population of Muslims, though the majority of the population uh, did remain Orthodox Christian of one variety of, or the other throughout this time. Though, just to be clear here, like Ossetians, Abkhaz are not Georgians, though I'm sure Georgians of a certain political spectrum would strongly disagree with me on that. Is it the bad kind? It is the bad kind, yes. <laughs> it was the bad kind. I don't even know why I ask these fucking questions half the time. I'm just like, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah, There's a politician we're going to talk about that, like, after the fall of the Soviet Union and also a little bit before the fall of the Soviet Union, like, his motto was, uh, like, Abkhaz are Georgians. Uh, and, like, there is no such thing as Abkhaz and things like that. That seems pretty disrespectful. It's very much a, a nationalist argument to make. Yeah. Uh, and not the, the liberatory kind of nationalism mm. <laughs> either. <laughs> Uh, like we've pointed out, they have their own customs uh, and courtesies and, and traditions going back before written history. Well, as they well are as clearly defined people. Yes. Uh, Abkhaz is related to a very obscure language known as Abaza, where like it's such a small language, it's thought that only like 100,000 people speak it. 
Oh, that's wild. Uh, is the uh, official language of the area to this day. Oh, that's crazy. Okay. And uh, that was not from a lack of trying. Uh, a lot of these minority languages, there was a so- solid attempt during both Republic and Soviet days to destroy them. Russify them, so on and yes, so forth. Yeah. some serious Russification, uh, which generally didn't do great. Uh, because the weird thing about small nationalities and ethnicities is they cling on to a lot of their customs um, and refuse to let go uh, and they do everything they can to continue to spread them like kind of like underground. Yeah. Which is kind of how the language survived. Though looking at the region and kind of what I just talked about, you know, what's coming next. The Russians. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's also coming, but we're not. As the various Georgian kingdoms feuded with one another and fought with neighboring Muslim nations, Georgia looked to Russia for help being a fellow Christian nation and all Georgian King Heraclius, the second, Sorry, signed the alliance that made them a protectorate of the Russian Empire in 1783. But in a funny turn of events that would happen more than once in the timeline of the Russian Empire, the Russians decided they really didn't feel like upholding any terms of this treaty and decided to just be easier to annex them. Uh, And they did in 1801. I mean, I guess you're not wrong. It is easier. But like, guys are dicks. Yeah, they do this a lot. Uh, And they officially became the Georgia government at this point. Now, during their time under Russian imperial rule, the Georgian status over the Abkhaz and Ossetian populations was largely solidified. The Abkhaz in particular were targeted during the Circassian genocide as Russia did its best to murder and expel the Muslim population of its Caucasus territories between 1864 and 1879. Uh, As much as 40% of the Abkhaz population was removed in one way or another via murder or forceful deportation to the Ottoman Empire. In the space left by genocide, Georgians, Russians, and unfortunately, a few Armenians moved in, making the Abkhaz a minority in their own land. Way to go, Joe. Yeah, me personally. I, I, own, I, I own a fucking house in the Abkhazian Republic to this you don't day. You a house now. <laughs> Fuck you. You don't know about my tax shelters. <laughs> Joe actually uh, records this under a tent. <laughs> <laughs> on the beach at Maui. I have a yurt. Weird looks from all the tourists. Now, the ones that stayed behind were forced to kneel to Russification as they attempted to systematically kill the culture that remained. And then the Russian Revolution happened. By 1905... Ooh, is this going to be a woo or a boo? No, I'll let you hold on to that for oh, later. No. <laughs> <laughs> By 1905, the various communist, socialist, Marxist, and whateverist movements had largely split into two camps. The Bolsheviks, led by Vladimir Lenin. They love doing it. <laughs> and the Mensheviks, led by Yuli Martov. Now, no, this is not going to be a lengthy explanation of the Russian Revolution. I will never do that. Uh, go listen to the Revolutions podcast. Now, I will do that. It sucked. Anarchism, good. Communism, bad. Next. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. In the South Caucasus, the Bolsheviks were viewed kind of differently depending on what part of the South Caucasus you end up being in. For instance, one camp was led by a Georgian and former seminarian from the town of Gori, Yusef Jugasvili, who you probably know better as Joseph Stalin. Yeah, all right. Now, he set up base in a town called Baku, then part of the Baku government, because the concept of Azerbaijan wouldn't exist for a couple more years. Yes, I had to shoehorn that in there. <laughs> Nate's like going click delete, <laughs> click delete. Um, <laughs> we thought nation states were a bad idea. 
their young Stalin, his rap name. Yo, it's young Jay here <laughs> to do a genocide. Uh, was agitating amongst the local oil workers because Baku was then, as now, a massive oil pit. Now, while the local Menshevik leader was a guy named Manoa Jordania, who was organizing amongst like local craftsmen and farmers. Now, Jordania, also a Georgian, was advocating for more of a Georgian state uh, with socialism rather than this internationalist revolution that Stalin and his bros were trying to sell everybody at this point. Mm-hmm. As everyone probably knows about this corner of history, this would lead to some famed disagreements among parties. Um, now, World War I then happened and hit pause on the whole revolution thing for a few years. So uh, several million people could die and be fed into wood chippers or freeze to death in the mountains. Um, but by 1917, that would again change. The czar was gone. Kerensky would be kicked to the side and Lenin would kind of sort of be in charge of Russia while it fell into a civil war. But that would leave the Caucasus wide open for the so-called Army of Islam. Now, this was an allied force of Turks and a few other smaller groups who were on a mission to reclaim the lands previously lost to Russian expansion during the time of the Russian Empire. At least that's what they said, because they really only seem to care about the Baku oil field. So this is more about money. (laughs) This is just how that works. Yeah. This was such a threat to Russia, now torn apart by civil war, that they supplied oil to the German Empire in order to uh, for them to swoop in and try to stop this largely Ottoman-backed-led advance. Right. How's this advance going? Because the Ottoman Empire is not doing so hot at this point in history. Well, it's uh, mostly tatters. Okay. Now, to be fair, it kills a fuckload of people. Oh, goddammit. The Army of Islam commits, like, I think, like a dozen pogroms uh, across Christ, guys. Georgia, Armenia, and what is today Azerbaijan. Like, it's fucking rough. People just love doing a genocide, man. Oh. Uh, yeah. And uh, they're still celebrated as heroes today. So that's cool. Great country, Turkey. Yeah. Uh, that one's Azerbaijan. Oh, Baku. Yeah. Uh- yeah. They had a parade through the streets of Baku to celebrate the Army of Islam's anniversary of a massacre of people in the um, Armenian classy. majority city of Shushi. Classy. Yeah. That's classy. It's great that's, stuff. That's a nation that has no need to exist. Uh- <laughs> you leave that in, Nate. Leave it right the fuck in. You heard it here first, folks. Azerbaijan has no fucking business existing. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I finally turned you into exactly what I wanted you to be. I already agreed with you. <laughs> I'm just saying it loud. Now Nate has to do double the work. Or Sarah, for that matter. Shout out to, to our friend Sarah for also editing the podcast. Now, at this point, through the various different sides of war, the Ottomans were able to, for just about two months, create a entity known as the Transcaucasian Democratic Federative Republic. Oh, really rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it's catchy. Uh, which unify the people of so-called Transcaucasia, uh, this being mostly Turks, Armenians, Georgians, uh, them like, into a single government. What about Cis-Caucasians? <laughs> Shut the fuck where's, up. Where's my representation? You get none. Okay. This was a single government, but it was a federation. So each ethnicity had its own head of state. And you can imagine how well this went. For instance, look at how well Lebanon works. Um, now, of course, this fell apart within, like I said, two months. Uh, with Georgia declared independence, and they also had imperial German support uh, for independence. Oh, uh, okay. Now, remember, these are the not quite so Nazi nationalist Germans, so it could be worse. Oh, 
Great. Yeah, fantastic. That's, On a list that's of German terrific. empires that have support you, this is the least bad. <laughs> uh, okay. That, that wasn't the sentence I was expecting, but I'm ready. Now, this was the Democratic Republic of Georgia, and you know it's free because it has it in there twice. Yeah, that's how you know. It's for emphasis. Now, they were recognized by almost every country on Earth, and they were led by Georgian Mensheviks. Though, in reality, it was pretty much a German protectorate until the end of the war when, you know, the German Empire ceased to exist for any longer. Ain't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, after this point, they would be replaced by the British, which always make things better, right? I'm sure our, our boys did a fine job. Now, the, the British at this point were mostly just there to make sure the Soviets didn't roll in and invade, which they had a tendency of doing in the region, uh, because early Soviet history was mostly pockmarked by them attempting to reclaim all of the Russian Empire for not imperial reasons, I'm sure. Uh, liberation, guys. Liberated. Yeah. See, it says so right here on the tank. Yeah, thankfully, the U.S. did the same thing in 2003 to Iraq. That was liberation, right? Yeah, right, guys? Liber- we were greeted in the streets as liberators, Joe. You were there. You remember. <sighs> well, you were in Afghanistan. We're good enough. <laughs> yeah, we liberated them too, right? Right? That yeah. was great. What's, it's really cool about being Kasabian is at some point in your in your history, you will invade Afghanistan for some reason. Just like my, my family that stayed in the Soviet Union also invaded Afghanistan. I came back in a couple of decades later and did the same thing. At least you didn't come home with a zinc-lined coffin. So. No, not Story. yet. I'm still good. <laughs> right before the Turkish drone strike takes you out. Yeah. For some reason, if I ever have a son, God forbid... Uh, he will, for reasons that have not been explained, be doomed to patrol Afghanistan for some fucking reason yeah, and get yeah. shot at by randos. There's a name in Liam. <laughs> so, yeah, the British were mostly in Georgia to safeguard them from Soviet invasion, but also because that oil money dough. Now, this changed in 1920 because they cut a deal with the Soviets saying they would recognize the Republic of Georgia, the Democratic Republic of Georgia. if. The British left. Now, this is important to Georgia because the Soviets refused to do business with them as long as they were not a recognized country. And obviously, this is very, very bad for a very small nation if your biggest neighbor refuses to do business with you. Right. So the Georgians agreed uh, and the British left and the deal further underlined that no other foreign troops could go there. Part of the deal was them unbanning certain political parties, mostly the Bolshevik party, which had been banned because it was funded by the Soviet Union. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they had to unban it. That's obnoxious. Yeah. Now, this happened. The Soviets inch closer and closer, influencing Bolshevik organizers as well, supplying Oshedi and Abkhaz separatists with guns. Now, these separatists were mostly apolitical uh, at first. They were they were mad because in this creation of the Democratic Republic of Georgia, there's no seat at the table for them. They were largely landless peasants uh, mm-hmm. because they've been pretty much serfs this entire time. And even after the freedom of the serfs, serfs is extra steps. They owned no yeah. land. They never had enough money. Uh, they never could accumulate. So far and so on. So yeah, 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 yeah. For Georgians who exploited them. So with this creation of the Republic, they were pretty fucking pissed. So the Soviets gave them guns and then like kind of, kind of sort of made them socialists, but it didn't really matter. <laughs> like they didn't care. They wanted to go shoot Georgians for some land rights. So the Soviets right. like, that's good enough for us. I think you swear we're communists, though. All right. Can we have the guns out, please? It did not take a whole lot for this to become a Bolshevik revolution, uh, which, fair game, the government of the Republic did fuck up on that front. When this happened, the separatists were kind of like, 
okay, we want a seat at the table, like directly into government, fuck elections, like this is going to be us. The central government, of course, refused, which led to a revolt they could not control. Wow. Yeah. This was kind of a peasant revolt that occurred on a yearly basis because it, it would pop up, be put back down, pop up, get put back down. You guys have heard of perennials. <laughs> <laughs> but as you can imagine, every time they put it down, it was horribly brutal, which only made the next one even worse. Uh, you know, weird thing about that is when you kill people, their family tends to get, get mad. They get mad about it. Yeah. All right. Congratulations, Joe. You know more than the United States government did in <laughs> Afghanistan. I've solved coin, y'all. You've done it. Now, while this was happening, the Mensheviks probably immediately regretted signing that little treaty about not letting foreign troops help them as they watched the Azeri and Armenian republics right next door uh, get invaded and absorbed back into the Soviet Union as they reclaimed the lands that they wanted that were once the Russian Empire. So now Georgia's quite literally all alone. (laughs) Dealing with constant oh. peasant revolts and surrounded by the Soviet Union. That's tough. Just like tugging on their car like, ooh, man, we fucked Oops. up. <laughs> by February of 1921, the leadership of uh, the Democratic Republic of Georgia had decided to run for their lives as the Red Army marched in, retaking Georgia and smashing it into the new Transcaucasian Federated Soviet Socialist Republic. That Soviets love naming shit. <laughs> they just love naming shit. Rolls <laughs> off the tongue, yeah. Now, this included Abkhazia and Oshetia, though this is where things get, like, weirdly legalese, uh, because, like, they do enjoy naming things. Like, the Soviet naming conventions are quite literally some of my favorite, because they're just huge and dumb and glorious. Fucking gobbledygook, yeah. <laughs> like... I think we talked about this during our like our our Chechen war series. Like, ah, uh, yes, it's the forty second independent separate guards mechanized infantry tank brigade. <laughs> like, god damn it! <laughs> By the time we're done announcing ourselves, they've already shot and captured us. <laughs> <laughs> now, under this new uh, regime, Oshetia was given the autonomous oblast status, while Abkhazia was given a so called. Treaty Republic status. Now, Treaty Republic status was pretty much a full Soviet Socialist Republic of Abkhazia. Almost. It was like 99% but, its own SSR. Yeah. But, and it would be its first like it in its history. But uh, by 1936, Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan were allowed to create their own, air quotes here, socialist bodies than the USSR, creating their own SSRs. With Oshetians keeping their status within their new kind of but not really independent Georgia, the new borders of the state became the topic of endless arguing and as the Soviets redrew things to be included within this Oshetian oblast, like just absentmindedly drawing lines on a map like a British person in India. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just redoing it over and over again, which I'm yeah. sure was... Like at yeah. very at various points, they included Georgian majority villages had never been part of Oshetia, uh, parts of Oshetia that had never been parts of Georgia. But neither Georgians or Oshetians had uh, an uh, a legal body to be like, yo, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, I was gonna ask, is there any sort of Georgian or Oshetian representation to push back on this? Well, I I'll give you the the legal term, which of course there was representation. Okay, so no, got it. Thank you. Nope, there sure wasn't. As for the Abkhaz, uh, Stalin and his good friend Lavrenti Beria, both Georgians, 
fuck them over ruthlessly. They stripped away their elevated status and stuck them back under Georgian control for seemingly no reason other than the fact they were worried if they let the, quote, Treaty Republic uh, status exist, more people would want it. Because it danced on a line that was almost SSR status, where there was a lot of small parts of the Soviet Union that if the Abkhaz were given an SSR status, there'd be... Right. And if people agitated enough, right. They, they would legitimately have to give a lot of people SSR status, which like they should have. I mean, if we're going to argue within these frameworks, then yes, why the fuck not? Uh, but they stripped it away. There was also just a seeming racist hatred uh, that Stalin and Beria had towards the Abkhaz people. Like to the point that it's it's one of those things that really only Stalin and Beria could do, and people be like, yeah, that tracks. Right. For instance, uh, the Abkhaz would make countless arguments from the entire time they existed within the Soviet Union of they wanted their treaty status back, but it seemed every time they did that, more rights were stripped away from them. Right. Beria, in particular, really hated the Abkhaz. Um, for instance, it was Beria rumored to have convinced Stalin to downgrade their status because he believed that they were less than Georgians, uh, which sounds like well, something Barry would believe. Yeah, it sounds like he rules. Uh, like he, he, it was one of those things that he didn't believe that they were elevated enough to handle their own affairs. Like some, some like legit shit that you'd seen. Like, like when we talked about South Africa, right? Like that's, that's the excuse like a Rhodesian would say. Furthermore, during the Great Purge, uh, which we've talked about during our Winter War series, Beria seemed to make it a personal mission to murder as many high-ranking Abkhaz elites as he could. What a cool and swell guy, dude. This included Nestor Lakoba, who was... Is there the any le- rationale for this, or just like the guy's just an asshole? I mean, it's Lavrenti Beria. The man was uh, like a serial murderer, serial rapist, evil, snidely whiplash motherfucker. Like he murdered Nestor Lakoba, who was the head of the local Bolshevik movement, for no Aww. reason other than he was Abkhaz. Uh, and like the the rumor was, he strangled him to death with his bare hands. Oh boy! So that's like a level of hatred that can truly only be defined by Liberty Beria. Normal, well-adjusted human being shit. Yeah, yeah. Like there, there's a reason why he got shot as soon as Stalin died. Uh, now, this brings us to the modern day and the era of independence, mostly. By 1989, Georgians and various others were arguing for independence. And for the most part, these were a bloodless and peaceful protests against across the Soviet Union. Now, the reason for this was, uh, as Glasnost and Perestroika came to be, it was decided they would no longer use the Red Army to uh, enforce the unity of Soviet socialist republics, sure. right? They're like, yeah, we'll do this politically. We won't kill you. That really only seemed to uh, count for some people uh, because this is not the case in Georgia. Can't say I'm, I'm shocked. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, uh, on April 9th, 1989, a company of Soviet airborne troops walked into an independence rally and beat 19 people to death with shovels. Oh, what? They were carrying shovels as riot gear and they were sharpened. And I reiterate, what a bunch of dicks. And honestly, like, I have a hard time finding why there was, there's no violence in the rally. Like, it was, most of these independence rallies were peaceful because it was people in, you know, Tbilisi, Yerevan, Baku, whatever. Right. 
Baku did do a pogrom. Uh, <laughs> uh, fuck, because of course they did. Uh, but it was largely uh, optimistic rally. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there wasn't like kicking cops in the head type shit. Oh. Yeah, because like generally speaking, the local police were the same ethnicity most of the time, but the soldiers right, weren't. Right, okay. So like cops were like, yeah, sure, fine, whatever. Granted, again, your experience may vary, but the, the soldiers were not. They were mostly mostly ethnically Russian, right? It depended. Okay, I wasn't sure. So generally airborne forces. So I think we talked about this a little bit back during this, uh, the Soviet-Afghan war. Yeah, you did. That's why I'm asking. But ethnically Russian conscripts and officers got the best billets. Right. The best units as well. So airborne guards units, Spetsnaz groups, those were mostly ethnically Russian. Um, but n- there was some minorities in there as well. Cause I know someone's going to be mad about it. if you went to, um, a Soviet airborne unit, you would probably find minorities from various republics, okay. but the majority of them would be Russian and their gotcha. officers would certainly be Russian. Okay. So yeah, they probably were not Georgian. Right. But by October of 1990, the independence movie led by a guy named Zavayed Gamsukurdia. Sorry, bro. <laughs> that was pretty much controlled by him. Now, he is the guy we talked about earlier that campaigned on slogans such as the Abkhaz nation does not exist. Oh, this asshole. Yeah. And Georgia for Georgians. Now, this is still technically in the Soviet Union, <laughs> but hanging on by a thread at this point. Sure. Okay. Slowly, he came to power with the promise that all of the special statuses of the Soviet times would be stripped away upon independence. Now, this messaging was pretty worrying for a lot of people they were trying to rule because as much as 30% of the population of Georgia was not, in fact, Georgian. So they're Abkhazian or... Abkhazian, Oshetian, Russian, Oshetian, Armenian. Right. Okay. Yeah, like there's a lot of people that have moved in over the years. Are, are the Abkhazians like the largest minority or do I, you know how the demographic breaks down? I assume so. I think Oshetians were okay. more oh, than right. Abkhaz. I okay. could be wrong. I, both okay. both populations are pretty small, but Georgia's gotcha. population as a whole is pretty small. Sure. Okay. Uh, Zavayed was eventually made the chairman of the Supreme Council with 90% of, cool. uh, of the vote, which I'm sure was very fair. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, the best uh, arguments I could see for the fairness of this vote is that the 10% of the vote he did not win were the minorities who refused to vote for him. Right. Which 90% is still very fucking high for a fair election. Now, in Oshetia, the government found themselves in a small problem. Now, the Oshetians were absolutely not Georgian, as we've pointed out, and had no intention of submitting themselves to the rule of Georgians, or more specifically, losing their autonomous status they had enjoyed for nearly 100 years on and off. Right. Not to mention during that time, despite them being dominated by Georgians for most part, uh, the Oshetians were much closer to Russians, who they saw as friends. So in 1990, the Oshetians declared their own independence. Um, now, the right. reason for this was they did not actually intend on cutting out on their own, but on staying within the USSR, which still existed. Right. Because... That's all going to exist for another year, yeah. Yeah, at the time, Zavayed was very much like, no, we're leaving the USSR, regardless of whatever the USSR could still be. So the Ashetians will, well, fuck you. We're going to stay in the USSR, whatever that version of the USSR is. 
a few months later, the government of Tbilisi, which is the capital of Georgia, stripped the Ossetians of their autonomous status. And Zavayid sent the dreaded Mecca Dironi, which roughly translates as the Night Horseman, uh, oh, no. to go deal with them. Now, the Night Horseman is a very strange, weird hybrid of mafia meets nationalist death squad. Uh, all right. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of weird shit out there. Like they they in the in the inter years immediately following independence, they acted very much as like a state sponsored mafia. Okay. It's a jobs program. Don't worry about it. Yeah, they're very much a nationalist death squad as well. Uh and they sent out to massacre dissident Oshetians. Now, this eventually blew up in a full-scale civil war between the two sides in 1991, when the Georgian cops attempted to disarm various militia groups in the Ashidian capital of Sphingvali? Sorry, guys. (laughs) Our bad. Now, this immediately went to shit. Georgia assumed they would be able to steamroll their tiny neighbor in no time, who was armed with mostly hunting rifles and shotguns, while the Georgian state had most of the rifles and, you know, force of arms and things Mm -hmm. like that. But there's a small problem. When they uh, declared independence from the Soviet Union and the Soviet Union crumbled, they didn't have an army anymore. Oh, Uh, whoops. (laughs) But they did have a lot of guns. Okay. You need those. Yeah. I mean, they did try to slap together like a Georgian army, but there was no real cohesive command structure, which is important. So just uh, some dudes. It was some dudes who didn't have uniforms, but they did have guns. Uh, and when they went into Sphingvali to um, quote unquote disarm these various militia groups, they discovered something that surprised them. And that is Russians had flooded Oshetia with weapons and volunteers. Now, Some of these volunteers we've talked about before because they would end up being the backbone of the Chechen resistance a few years later. Dudes like Doko Amarov and Shamil Bostayev. There's a name. Yeah, they had been trained by the KGB and released into Oshetia to commit horrible war crimes, which would border on genocide against local Georgians, Armenians, and Azeris. And this would certainly not blow up in Russia's face within the next two years. Now, the Georgian government was so unprepared for this, the first thing they sent in is something they called the National Guard, which uh, it's a group of dudes with a title. You cannot call this an army. Now, it was an armed body formed right before the fighting was started uh, because the National Army had largely collapsed, like I said, due to the collapse of the Soviet Union. And there's another problem with that. Uh, you had generations of people who are used to conscription. Okay, so the easy answer to this is simply conscript a new army. Yeah. Well, all of their draft infrastructure collapsed as well because, again, it was connected to the Soviet military, not oh, their own. Yeah, yeah. So without that Soviet support, they're like, uh, we have draft offices. Nobody's going to them, though. <laughs> but you guys said you would. <laughs> yeah, so the, the draft system completely failed. So they're attempting to create something new, being the National Guard. The source that I used for this is a book called The Guns of August 2008. And they described it as they were just left with a whole bunch of paperwork and nobody knew how to file it. (laughs) (laughs) So they called for volunteers, leading to a weird collection of militias, outright street gangs, uh, to include the so-called gang called the White George. 
that's that's not a name. A literal prison gang that was released yeah. upon promise they would fight for the state. <laughs> that's one way of doing it. Like Im- imagine, uh, like I don't know, like during the troop surge, like all Nortenios, please line up. <laughs> like there, it used to be that you could either join the service or go to jail. Yeah, but they did this in reverse. Like you're already in jail. Oh, yeah, you're already in service. jail. Yeah. I, I mean, the Soviets did this during World War II, where they um, promised a whole bunch of prisoners, like if you enlist, you'll get freedom, which was a complete lie. Uh, and after the war, they were dumped back into prison. Can't believe but, the Soviets would do that dirty like that, dude. And then, uh, well, the funny part was there's like there's a strict Soviet and now Russian and now also various other states prison culture, which forbids working with the state in any way to include even during Soviet times. Like you don't talk to prison guards, you don't work for the state, nothing. Right. So a lot of people refuse to enlist even during world war two to fight the Nazis. Like, nah, fuck the state. You put me in prison, which I can respect that energy. Fair enough. Yep. Uh, but when they came back, they came back right. when they were put back into prison, they were put right back into that same culture. Now with everybody knowing you went and started uh, working for the state, which right. launched a prison war called the bitch wars. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> Where the, hardcore prison guys that didn't enlist fought the guys who did enlist very weird stuff. But yeah, that's the kind of prison culture. And that's where the white Georges came from. What a country, man. Love that shit. Now this collection of assholes now dubbed the national guard just began systematically burning down villages. Like some people say it's up to like under different villages. They attempted to force the Oshetian civilian populations to flee because there's a part of uh, Russia called North Ossetia. Um, and they thought if they created enough terror, they would simply run into Russia. And they're like, nah, solve that problem. Right. So that's what they wanted to do. Uh, so yeah, terror warfare is always good. Now, unfortunately, the Oshetians decided... Well, if, too, dude. Yeah, and the Oshetians said, well, if they're going to do that, we're oh, going to no. fucking <laughs> do that too. And <laughs> they were joined by Shamil Basayev, Killing uh, every Georgian they can get their hands on. Uh, uh, Georgia considers this a genocide, and legitimately, I don't know. I don't know enough about it to say if it is or isn't. Sure. But it sounds real bad. Uh, I will yeah, say, Shamil Basayev is here. Things are not great. Yeah, at any point you find yourself on the same set of Shamil Basayev, you've gone wrong somewhere. Uh, this is the war uh, I talked about briefly during the che- the first Chechen war series, where he developed a new form of torture. Yeah. Uh, where he uh, sliced somebody's throat and pulled their tongue through it. Yeah, I mean, my parents listened to that episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he didn't invent that. It's also known as like a Colombian necktie. Real uh, real trope there, Shamil. Uh, but you know, he popularized it within <laughs> the region. Yeah, yeah. Derivative. Yeah. Some guy being tortured to death, like, just screaming derivative at you. <laughs> I liked it better when fucking they did it in Bogota. Well, you know, say what you will about Shamil Basse of like mixing around a wine glass, but he's very derivative. <laughs> but uh, Zavayad, it turns out, was very, very bad at running the country. So while all this is going on, within about one year, his time was up. In December of 1991, the head of the National Guard and the Night Horsemen had a little coup and established a junta. His why not? Why not, man? Now, this only lasted a few more months because they realized that, 
holy shit, running a country is hard and we're not yeah, going to this. Sucks. <laughs> so they invited former KGB agent and former Soviet foreign minister Edward Shevardnadze to take power. Now, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you might be like, I've heard that name before. And it's because you had, he's pretty much single-handedly responsible for getting the Soviet Union to invade Afghanistan. (laughs) And holy shit, would he end up running Georgia for a while. Now, at this point, Zavayan and his supporters fled to Chechnya because why not? Uh, And also Abkhazia. Sure. Because even the Abkhaz were like, sure, fine. You're not in charge of anything anymore. And he set up a government in exile, I believe in Grozny. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I know know about Grozny. (laughs) Now, at this point, Grozny is still mostly, like, not blown apart. yet. Yeah. (laughs) The city hall says, welcome to hell on it. (laughs) (laughs) I, I truly like what you've done with the place. It smells like... Dead Russians. Um, now, this, this new president, Shevardnadze, had enough problems on his hands uh, with the, the Oshetians and had no intention of starting shit with the Abkhaz. And the Abkhaz didn't want to start any shit with the Blisi, hoping to, like, I don't know, sit this whole one out. Also, they did see vividly what was going on over in Oshetia. And they're like, hmm, we don't want any of that smoke over here. None of that, please. This changed, however, when the new government in Tbilisi announced that the Soviet-era constitution of Georgia was abolished and would be replaced by the first republic, that being the Democratic Republic's constitution of 1918. Now, the Abkhaz took one look at that and said, well, there's no place in that constitution for our autonomy. You're right. There isn't. and And Tbilisi just was like... Yes, you are correct. <laughs> so the Abkhaz government announced they would replace their own constitution with that of the 1925 constitution, being the last one that recognized Abkhaz statehood and hoisted their own flag over their government house. So, of course, Tbilisi refused to recognize this. Well, they love doing it. Yeah. So people may be connected to the Abkhaz government, maybe some freelancers nobody's entirely sure who kidnapped the minister of the interior stashing him in the Abkhaz city of Gali. <laughs> as, as one does. Yeah, I, I assume in a long enough time, I'm like, hey, get him back unhurt if you recognize our statehood or whatever. But of course, this made the government very, very mad. And they told the Abkhaz government that they would send the police into Abkhazia only to free the minister not to start a war. However, these police were awfully heavily armed and had like tanks and shit. Mm. Now, the problem was the Abkhaz commander, a guy named uh, Arbzinda, sorry, uh, knew that they were lying because the commander of the police, Tengiz Kitovani, was also the commander of the National Guard. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) And after seeing what the National Guard had done to Oshedia, that being ethnic cleansing, yep. they said if any soldiers came anywhere fucking near Abkhazia, it would mean a war. So then, of course, a war happened. Ah, and the, good. Yeah. I, was, I, I was nervous. We wouldn't get one, man. For a second here, I thought someone would have a clear head. No. Yeah, that on the show. So then, of course, you know, the war started. The Abkhaz weren't ready, and the National Guard ran over them, murdering and looting their way through the regional capital of Sukumi, and then returning to Tbilisi, delivering the flag from the government house as a prize. But the Abkhaz were not going to roll over or take this shit lying down. Their government simply moved to a different town, Guadauda. Sorry, guys. (laughs) 
Gudauta? Oh, my obcas is rusty. It's okay. Mine's worse. (laughs) (laughs) I speak first best obcas on this podcast, uh, which was a tactical choice as well as a practical one. For instance, because the town had a Russian airbase in it, any Ah. attack on the town would be considered an attack on Russia. And Georgia didn't want any of that shit going on. None of that smoke, if you will. But that did not protect other outlying towns. The Night Horseman Mafia landed by sea, doing what I imagine is the only mafia-born amphibious landing. Holy shit. And then burned, murdered, and looted coastal towns, while the so-called Confederation of Mountain People's Armies, which was made up of Chechen, Dagestani, and English volunteers... Terrific name. ...came down from the mountains to aid the Abkhaz. Of course on the direction, training, and armament of Russia. These forces not only drove Georgian forces out, but also Georgians themselves. And they were personally led by, wait for it, Shamil Basayev again! (laughs) (laughs) This guy just keeps popping up! They would slaughter any Georgians they got their hands on. If anyone remembers... Anything that I said before about him, he did that all over again. This is pretty much where he learned... How to be a fucking psychopath. Gotta start somewhere, man. Everyone starts small, Joe. His lunatic trade school, I guess. One brick at a time, Joe. Yeah. Just to be clear here, the Chechens and other volunteers were not alone in this mission to expel and murder the Georgians. Abkhaz units also joined in, but were decidedly not as good at it. I assume (laughs) because they were not as experienced yet. But they didn't stop at Georgians either. Pretty much any non-Abkhaz became targets, including Russians, Greeks, Armenians, and even some Christian Abkhaz themselves in a moment of blowback. Rude. Hundreds of thousands of people fled their homes, while thousands were killed. Georgian homes, schools, and churches were blown up in an attempt to erase them from the area's history. Now, elsewhere, the war devolved into a long-range artillery and sniper duel, while Russian jets would occasionally drop vacuum air fuel explosives over Georgians. Uh, Now, here's a a fun fact about this. If you ask the Russians, they never bombed anybody. The Russians deny they had anything to do with the various airstrikes, but the Abkhaz had no fucking air force to even lie about. Just got there. I don't know what you're talking about. Shut up. This press conference is over. (laughs) Those aren't our planes. That was the Abkhaz Air Force. Meanwhile, the Abkhaz are like, we don't actually have an air force. We wish we did. Then we would do that. We have some guides. Now, when the Georgians reached out to the international community and said they were being attacked by Russia, nobody cared because this is solidly that point in history where nobody gave a shit as the USSR collapsed. So the affairs of a former Soviet state didn't register anymore. Something that unfortunately continues to this day. Neat. Right. Now, even when a Russian plane with a Russian pilot and carrying all of his Russian military identity papers were shot down, the Russian defense minister, podcast favorite, Pavel Grachev, said that the guy was totally not Pavel Russian. Grachev, yes! <laughs> he was like, that guy's not Russian. We have no idea what you're talking about. He also included the Georgians who lacked a functional air force of their own of simply painting a MiG up to look like a Russian plane and then bombing themselves with it before shooting it down. Uh-huh. Some real 5D chess going on here. Now, with all of this support, it was only a matter of time before Sukumi fell back into the hands of the Abkhaz. Hilariously, the president of Georgia, Shevardnadze, was commanding the defense of the city personally. 
despite the fact he had never been any kind of military commander, though he did the, the rank of major general in the, the former Georgian SSR's Ministry of Public Order and Internal Affairs at various points. He only held political posts, not military ones, which probably explains why the defense immediately crumbled. That will do it. And not to mention, remember, even like politically, he was bad at this. He bumbled his way into the whole ass Soviet war in Afghanistan. So maybe he's not the guy you want in command of anything. Not with that attitude. Come on, dude. You got to start somewhere. Start small. Start with zinc lined coffins. <laughs> you got to lose Afghanistan before you lose Georgia. It's a significantly smaller country. You got you to gotta crawl before you can walk. <laughs> Uh, Now, he had to run for his life as the city fell behind him with rumors that his old buddy Yeltsin had to make sure he escaped alive due to his support being, you know, during that whole coup thing that Yeltsin had. Now, during all of this weakness and war and all that, Zavayad and his loyalists attempted to seize control all over again, leading to Shevardnadze to plead with the Russians for support to keep him in power, which they did, meaning they supported at various points, three sides of the same so, uh, civil <laughs> war, <laughs> which just incredible stuff. That's just that's that good late Soviet Union uh, uh, diplomacy. This is like if when you click on like Wikipedia and read the belligerence of the Iran-Iraq war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, how did this happen? Um, yeah, at one point, Russia was supporting and arming and defending three sides of a of a. Of a Kind of foresighted civil war somehow? I don't know. Now, the war eventually ended, temporarily at least, with a ceasefire in 1993. But the war had left the entire country in fucking ruins, just as winter swept into the region. To police it, much of Georgia was left with only sporadic electricity and gas. Roving bands of night horsemen mobsters robbed and stole at will, and Jesus hundreds fuck. of thousands of refugees had flooded in and been given mostly nothing for survival. At this point, this is pretty much a kleptocracy, like to the the most right. specific definition you could find. Things are bad here. The night horsemen are kind of, but not really part of the government. Ministers of government are very obviously connected to them and just looting the country for everything it's worth. Right. Yeah, This is definitely the era where oligarchs are born. Now, Georgia never really administered the zones they had lost in the war. Uh, they had still just lost to whole ass wars, uh, which is kind of rough on the old national pride. Yeah. More like George. <laughs> More like George. Uh, am I right? Ooh. Mm-hmm. Now the nation left at the end of the war was pretty much a failed state, uh, mm-hmm. but not entirely. Like if it was a failed state, if you didn't live in Tbilisi and if you lived in Tbilisi, it was almost a failed state. Failing state, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty much teetering on the collapse of complete and total disillusion. Russian Oshetian and Abkhaz peacekeeping units patrol the areas and various amounts of rebuilding would occur. Well, how hell, right? They're all friends. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really helps when you have a pipeline of money coming in, which Georgia definitely did not. Russia would form the Commonwealth of Independent States as a form yep. of reintroducing their sphere of influence without the hammer and sickle aesthetics, which, as you can imagine, Georgia did not want to join due to the war they had just been a part of. But that didn't matter. The Russian military was still the largest military presence in Georgia, whether they joined it or not. The CTSO right. or whatever you want to call it was coming to them. The Russian Transcaucasian Military District Headquarters was in Tbilisi, and Russian border guards secured their border with Turkey. 
Because their protest was mostly pointless, they had no choice and eventually acquiesced to joining the Commonwealth of Independent States. And I got that all fucked up. The Commonwealth of Independent States of, is the CIS, the CTSO would come later. Okay. A lot of acronyms in this region. I apologize. Yeah, fair enough. The Russian military was also the main supplier of weapons for literally every side of the now frozen conflict, which is something they do all across this region and continue to do. It's their version of soft power. Right. Make yourselves indispensable, right? Also the Russian Orthodox Church, but that's a debate for a different day. This is something they did in Armenia, uh, Azerbaijan, Nagorno-Karabakh, Artsakh, Ukraine, you name it. Uh, Also Transnistria. It happens all over the place. Uh, There's a frozen war. They supply both sides with with the weapons. They think they need to fight that war in case it pops off. And they also sell the countermeasures of those weapons. So if anything pops off, they have to come back to Daddy Russia to solve it. Also Far Cry 2, if you've never played it. Oh, shit, that was, huh? Yeah, the jackal. (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that. Quite honestly, their goal is never sell once had enough weapons to make a starting of the war a definitive end to that war. Mm-hmm. By the time the war ended, Russia pretty much controlled the, Ru- the Georgian government. And I don't mean this like metaphorically either. <laughs> like this wasn't like a leverage type situation. Treaties promised four bases within the Republic, as well as pretty much getting to pick who was the ministers of defense, interior and security, mm-hmm. where all had to be handpicked by the Russian Federation. Right. Everyone that they picked for these roles was connected to Russia or quite simply Russian. Sure. For example, the Georgian Minister of Defense was an ethnic Georgian who was an active major general within the Russian military. Okay. That seems to be all on the up and up. Yep. Yeah. Also, he happened to be the deputy commander of the Russian military district that covered Georgia. Oh. Yeah. How nice of him. Short commute. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's really a, a work commute hack on his part. Now, becoming what was effectively a Russian protectorate was supposed to come with benefits, however. Like they signed these treaties for a reason, like the Russians eventually mapping out a way that these various breakaway states could eventually come back together again. Uh, Now, they made sure that there was no defined way that was going to happen when those were signed, because of course they didn't. And of course, as we know today, sitting here in 2021, that still has not happened. Another benefit that was supposed to was the rebuilding of the Georgian security apparatus and training of a new officer corps for the military, because... They either A, didn't have one, or B, they were all dead. Instead, they gave them old equipment, much of which didn't work anymore, and barely allowed any Georgian military officers into the Russian military academies, which was a key part of the treaty. Right. At one point, they simply stopped giving rebuilding aid that they said they would. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. And I understand that Russia is going through a lot of shit at this point. Um, they are also really trying to pull themselves Honoring your treaties is important, dickheads. Yeah, but that also isn't the reason why they cut off rebuilding it. <laughs> Thinking that they were that they'd been like bad boys or displeased daddy in some way, Shevardnadze, who remember had deep connections to Russia himself, bowed even lower and lower to appease Russia, leading to the Georgian themselves calling him a Russian plant. Like the Georgian people thought their president was a Russian agent, which. He kind of was. Yeah. <laughs> Real faith in the institutions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if he personally wasn't, he his whole government was. Like in right. every version of state security was. So, you know, do that what you will. 
This included Shevardnadze telling Russia that they supported them, that being Georgia, during their war in Chechnya, openly saying Russia had the right to carpet bomb Grozny and allowed the use of Georgian airspace to be used for this effort. Despite the fact this was incredibly unpopular in Georgia, as you can imagine. Absolutely none of this shit worked. Russia never even stopped giving weapons to various breakaway states and also the fucking mafia (laughs) they were straight up giving weapons to the night horsemen who were kind of like an extra political force that could be used to enforce political rule from russia right at some points they were pro-georgian at some points they were pro-russia they were the mafia you just had to pay them but by the mid-1990s shevardnadze was starting to realize this wasn't working so well he figured since Russia wouldn't stop screwing them over, he could reach out to the West. Famous for never screwing anyone over. That's us, baby. Like At least like NATO wouldn't make you pick a defense minister that we like or whatever, you know? Right. NATO mostly doesn't exist outside yeah. of like when the U.S. randomly invades someone and asks for 10 soldiers mm-hmm. so we can say you supported it, which Georgia also does. We'll get there. <laughs> oh. Oh. Let's feel bad. <laughs> this was either in earnest, like Shevardnadze was either earnestly turning pro-West due to just the, the pressure of being constantly fucked by Russia, or it was to show Russia that unless you started to fulfill your part of the deal, we were going to we'll look find elsewhere. Someone else, right? Yeah. It's like definitely like looking for a used car. Like I have the lot down the street, so they'll give me ten k off. Uh, but because his military security services and pretty much entire government were controlled by Russians, he was going to have a really, really hard Tight time yeah. Yeah, going about doing anything like that. So instead, he propped up and supported a political wing of Western educated politicians within the ruling Citizens Union of Georgia Party and surrounded himself with pro-West advisors. Now, most of these were like, okay. most of these were like Georgian diaspora who had come back after independence and stuff like that. Or they were educated in Western Europe, stuff like that. Sure. Now, his goal was not to like lose power. Shevardnadze loves him some power. His goal is to kind of create a competing Western faction in this pro-Russian government in order to like slowly push out Russian influence and maybe, right. I don't know, pick his entire cabinet. <laughs> so, of course, someone tried to kill him within a few months of doing this in August of 1995. I wonder so, who would do it. I yeah. I wonder who that was. Pretty much everybody accepts that this is a Russian plot. Uh, and probably his own defense minister was in on it. Uh, the, no, nobody knows for sure. Further underlying the fact that the guy who tried to kill him left the country immediately afterwards and then uh, took a privately owned Russian jet straight to Moscow. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's what we call a hint. Yeah, unsolvable crime. Yeah, we might not be a true crime podcast, but every once in a while we solve a mystery. Yeah. <laughs> But the failure actually lended him more support because they're like, oh, man, if somebody's trying to kill him, he must be doing something right. Or he must be pissing off the right kind of people. Sure, because that makes sense. none of this behind the doors intrigue was unknown to Georgians. Like they fully are aware of what Russia is doing. This right. isn't like subterfuge type shit. They know that like, why is our defense minister a Russian military general? <laughs> make it make sense. He used this popular support to shift power away from parliaments and onto himself, which is never a good sign. And he used the idea that most people believe that parliament simply didn't work as an excuse to do so, because there was a whole lot of gridlock 
on purpose by design. Another move that Shevardnadze did was got Russia involved in like this oil pipeline mm-hmm. uh, that went through Baku, Tbilisi, and then Sihan, uh, which the goal was to get away from Russian gas monopolies, okay. uh, which I'm sure Western Europe knows all about right now. <laughs> now, this pipeline project has long been considered ridiculous and mostly a political ploy to damage Russia. But since it passed through Turkey, a NATO nation, that meant it piqued the interest of the United States, oh. unfortunately for everybody involved. <laughs> also, um, Georgia saw Russia as weakening. Do remember, this is the mid-90s. Soviet Union has just collapsed, right? The Soviet Union collapsed, but everybody just watched in real time as they got their shit kicked in by Chechnya. Chechnya, right, right, right. So suddenly, the idea of being rolled by the Russian military didn't seem all that scary. Mm. Uh, Then Georgia got weirdly close with the new Chechen state. Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. Which I mean, like, like I said, fine, whatever. Uh, like they were planning roads and things that would just never quite work out. Holding hands and singing songs. Yes, they were like playing, playing this like huge fresh water pipeline, like uh, roads going all the way there. It collapsed because I mean, Georgia was having their own problems, but Chechnya as a functioning state really never existed. Like they right. immediately collapsed upon themselves, as you can imagine with the amount of destruction and you know exploitation and murder that happened there. But. As this happened more, Shevardnadze's life was threatened pretty much continuously. <laughs> in February 1998, he escaped another assassination attempt. Which minister was it this time? <laughs> Nobody's quite sure. And in October of that same year, a, a mutiny within the National Guard, led by Russian agents, nearly killed him again. Um, pretty much every time Georgia made some overture to the West. Right. They were punished for it. He would almost die, uh, but also there would be a flare-up of fighting between one of the breakaway states, normally Oshetia, which Russia truly had its hooks in. Right. Um, and then Russia would swoop in, act like the dad, calm everything down, and then make more empty promises to resolve the whole thing. Mm. Like Every time they talked about the pipeline, every, th- every time they talked about like doing business with Chechnya, because remember during this point, Russia still considered Chechnya... Russia, even if they did get kicked out of it, uh, they'd be like, oh, weird, quote unquote, Oshetian militants just launched like 15 artillery shells at you. We'll talk them down. Mm -hmm. By the year 2000, that whole thing had changed. Georgia had become one of the leading beneficiaries of U.S. aid while the U.S. had dumped money and military traders including myself, into rebuilding the Georgian military. Mm-hmm. Yes, I helped train the Georgian military for like two weeks. It wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, but I feel like mm-hmm. I, I should mm-hmm. point that out. <laughs> I, I mean, everybody has read like about the kind of soldier I was in the book. It wasn't like some secret squirrel shit. I literally taught them how to use M16s. That's it. <laughs> of course, that's what a secret squirrel would say. Yeah. Right? Yeah, a secret squirrel was such a storied military uh, career that he wrote a book that no major outlet would touch. Well, I read it and I liked it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, but yeah, I, I trained Georgian junior non-commissioned officers for like two weeks once. Did you train some dudes on tanks too, or did I make that up? No, the Georgians were never going to uh, move to the M1 uh, because it's way too expensive. Oh, got it. Uh, they don't have the logistics capacity to carry oh, wow. M1A1. Have you ever trained anyone on tanks? Am I making this up? No, I did. Um, kind of. Uh, I, when I was uh, not an instructor, but part of 
the abolic cadre uh, at Fort Knox, what it was at Fort Knox, they, go, they yeah. moved it. We would get international students all the time yeah. uh, from NATO countries, but also Taiwan. Um, and we would, they'd learn like tank stuff from us, but it was also very weird because none of the countries that were sending people used M1 tanks. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like Turkey, um, the UK, Germany, Taiwan. No, those guys use M1s. <laughs> it was bonding, but also leadership training. I was just there to teach them how to load and stuff, uh, in a tank that they would not use after that school. <laughs> But uh, by 2001, uh, U.S. military aid represented a full two-thirds of the Georgian military defense spending. It was a lot. Right. Uh, This coincided with the start of the Second Chechen War, and Russia used that as an opportunity to start flinging some pretty hilarious accusations towards Georgia. Remember, this is prime war on terror shit. Right. This, is, this is that era. For instance, they claimed that Georgia was a hub for Islamic terrorism, something oh, that okay. probably came as a shock for a famously Christian country. Yeah, I was going to say, is it Georgia? Yeah. <laughs> no, to be fair, there is like some extremists that came from Georgia. Um, like I believe something. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, him. Uh, but also there was, I forget the guy's first name, but Al Shistani, who is pretty high ranking in ISIS. Came oh, from yeah, yeah, yeah. from came from Georgia. There's an area known as the Kadori Gorge, which is kind of known for being completely unruled by Georgia. Which as uh, that was able to be used as a pretty safe fallback position for oh, Islamic you. militants, and then you know how that spreads. Uh, but the idea that they're a hotbed of terrorism in 2001. Absolutely not true. <laughs> right. And like at one point they claimed that Osama bin Laden himself was hiding out there as long as well as what? thousands of members of the Taliban, what? which is strange. Now there is a very weird connection here. And that is in the early nineties, members of the quote unquote Arab Afghans, which was Osama bin Laden's detachment in Afghanistan, which wouldn't obviously become Al Qaeda at some point um, did fight in the Nergano Karabakh war on the side of Azerbaijan. Interesting. Okay. So they were in the region, but gotcha. Osama bin Laden never went there. Uh, there's right. no, there's never any evidence that he traveled there. And there was certainly no members of the fucking Taliban there. And nobody believed Russia when they said this. Right. But uh, that didn't stop Russian jets from randomly bombing Georgian border villages at random. Oh, that's cool. That's real nice. Uh, this is before 9-11. And then, you know, so now 9-11 happens and suddenly America is all up in this global war on terror and Russia has kind of fucked up. They overplayed their hand. They spent years claiming Georgia was being infiltrated by terrorists to the point that by 9-11, America was paying attention to Georgia. So by 2001, the U.S. entered into a bilateral military cooperation program with Georgia with the idea that this would be used by the Georgian state to combat these terrorists that were apparently plaguing the Georgian highlands. (laughs) And Russia was suddenly like, oh, fuck. That's fucking funny, dude. Congratulations, sir. You've played yourself. You've played yourself. Put a quarter in your ass. Yeah, and I mean, there's also a very, very, very good bet. America fully knew that this is bullshit. Right. Uh, They're like, well, you invited us in, bro. Because at this point, the second Chechen war is still going on. And uh, Putin has 100% played it 
as a war on terrorism. So America's like, yeah, do what you do. Firebomb those schools. It's against terrorists. So like, mm-hmm. you know, we, we knew what was happening. Now, not only did Russia accidentally play into the hands of the U.S. and in turn NATO, they would almost certainly lay the seeds for the events that would come to war in 2008. And that is where we'll pick up next time. So that kind of exhaustive history of how the fuck all this led to a two-week-long war. Next week. Yeah, next week. Hopefully, Liam, you learned uh, something about this topic. You didn't didn't know before. Uh, yeah, it's Liam noted Georgian uh, philosopher. Yeah, that's, that's me. Yeah, yeah, I learned a lot. Thank you, Joe. He, he's one of the guys that still calls it Kartval. Um, oh. I think, like legally, that's what's known in, in Georgian. But um, uh, okay. but uh, yeah, uh, hopefully everybody learned something new about this conflict. And next week we'll talk about more stuff you didn't know, possibly, unless for some reason some Georgian scholar is already knows all this stuff, in which case I am sorry for mispronouncing every attempt I made at your language. It'll happen for about another hour. Um, Liam, plug your shows. For which we are truly genuinely sorry, by the way. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Whenever I mispronounce anything, it's not like I do it on purpose. It just yeah, yeah. fucking happens. We just, we just do it. We're sorry. Uh, listen to, well, there's your problem. Uh, it's a leftist engineering disasters comedy podcast with slides and listen to 10,000 losses. Our first episode uh, actually had Joe on it. Our first bonus, I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Go download that or whatever. And thank you for supporting lions Led by donkeys. If you haven't, please subscribe to the Patreon. It makes everything we do possible. You get bonus stuff. Let's see. What else? Buy my books, Liberty of death series. You can probably Buy's get books for free. Uh, if you have Kindle unlimited, uh, if not, Buy's books. Buy it anyway, Buy it anyway, for you for not supporting Amazon, I guess. Yeah, sorry. Uh, and until next time, don't vacuum bomb villages. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs>